Well, good morning, ICC family. I am Pastor Barrett Bowden, lead pastor here at Island Community Church, and we welcome you to worship this morning. Thank you so much for joining us for worship today, wherever you are, wherever you're uh, joining us from. uh, We are so grateful that you are with us today. Uh, And if you are new today, a special welcome to you. We are a big family uh, spread across this Mid-South region, and we've even got people today watching us from other places around the country and world, and we just want to welcome you uh, to our church family, and we do pray today that you feel loved and uh, cared for, and if there's ever any way that we can serve you, please let us know. I want to uh, start today uh, and our time in God's Word by just having a time of prayer together. So I'm going to give you a few seconds, and then I'm going to pray for us, um, and let's just beg God. I mean, sincerely, right now, let's beg God to speak to us today as uh, we allow him uh, to really minister to us by his spirit and his living word. Father, we thank you for the opportunity we have to draw near to you. And we pray God today, Lord, that we would sense your presence with us. And Lord, that your Holy Spirit would minister in a powerful way in our hearts and lives to remind us of who you are, to reveal to us more of your glory, more of your grace, And Lord, to meet need. God, we uh, thank you for the good news of your gospel, the good news of your finished work, the finished work that you did for us, uh, just purely by your love for us and in your grace toward us. Lord, the finished work completed by your son, our Savior, Jesus. And we pray today, God, that we could just trust in you and find your grace sufficient. God, thank you for the opportunity that we have right now in these moments Uh, to just be together and to be with you. And we pray, God, for your ministry here and now. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, church family, uh, if you've got your Bibles, I would encourage you to get them open to the book of Hebrews today. That's right. We're going to be back in our series in Hebrews. And today, if you haven't already opened them up, uh, thank you so much to Faber who just uh, read our scripture today, but it's Hebrews chapter 10, and we're going to be starting in verse 19. And the title of today's message is Better Life, Better Life response. Okay, so I hope everybody's taking notes right now. Everybody gets something to take notes with. I would encourage you to do that, whether it's a piece of paper or a journal or uh, something in your phone uh, or device. We would love it if you would be a note taker with us this morning. I am so excited to have the opportunity to talk to you today about this particular passage of scripture. Um, We are literally in one of the weirdest years ever. I mean, could you, could you agree with me there? I just, I mean, this year has been such a doozy and my word, um, we've made the joke time and time again, but it is just, it has just been a wild one, right? And the reality though is while this year has been extraordinarily strange and straining, we could use both of those words, uh, probably for us personally, definitely for us corporately. Um, as a church and and even as a society uh, and beyond as a world. Um, Even though it's been strange and strained um, this year particularly, we know that life is is often just strange and strained in many ways, uh, even beyond this year. And the reality is um, we need to know how to live life like as real people in the real world that we live in. 
but how to live life in light of who God is and all that he's done for us in Jesus. And today, uh, I'm going to get to teach this passage of scripture, which outlines for us probably of the, the most practically of anything that we've done in the book of Hebrews yet, it outlines for us what it is that we are to do, how it is that we are to live our life uh, with trust in God. We've been in this book of Hebrews and over and over we've been seeing how the book of Hebrews is all about the person of Jesus. Uh, 13 different times it describes how Jesus is better. 14 different times it describes how Jesus uh, is perfect. There's nothing lacking in him. Whenever you compare Jesus to anything else, what you will find is uh, he is better, <laughs> like he's the best. And also you will find that, that he's sufficient. There's literally nothing lacking with Jesus. And not only that, he's unchanging. He is eternal, the same yesterday, today, and forever. And um, what a joy to, to know him and to put our hope in him. The writer Hebrews over and over and over has been saying to us, I want you to know Jesus. I want you to trust Jesus. I want you to find your joy and your life and your hope and your, your everything in Jesus. For he is the one your hearts were made for. He is better. He is perfect. He is unchanging. And in the midst of life, as you are looking at, uh, at options of, of who to trust and what to turn to for, for joy and happiness, where to look uh, for a means of relating well to God, uh, where to find a sure and unchanging hope, you can look to Jesus. He's better in every way. Well, we've also been talking about how Hebrews is made up in three sections. We talked about how in the first section, the writer wants us to see that Jesus is a better person. In the second section, he wrote to us that we might understand how Jesus is a better priest. But today, with the verse that we're going to be looking at today, here in verse 19, the start of, of this section uh, is really the start of the very end section of the book, that third section. And I hope you've had a chance to already write down this structure, because I do want you to pay attention to it so you can keep up with it. But we're looking now at the section of how Jesus invites us into a better life. As we get to know Jesus and as we put our trust in Jesus, as we learn to, to surrender and to release ourselves more and more to him, what we realize is that he offers us a better life. And that is exactly what we're going to be doing in this new section that we're starting uh, into today. There's some questions for us at this point in the book of Hebrews, right? I mean, the writer of Hebrews has just been just exalting Jesus. He's just been saying, look, look at Jesus. Look at Jesus. Look at Jesus. He is wonderful. He is great. He is better. And he's been making these comparisons and over and over and over like a friend who just is so excited to tell you about uh, one of the best experiences they've ever had. The writer of Hebrews has just been pouring out. He's been saying, just, just no, look at Jesus. He's everything. But there's some obvious questions that come at this point in light of all that he's told us about who Jesus is. And the questions are, you know, what does all of this mean for my daily life? I mean, okay, like, I, I can see that Jesus is, like, amazing. But, like, what does it look like for me, like, Sunday? I mean, here we are again. Like, we're worshiping from home. And... I am struggling, like, cases again, the coronavirus are on the rise, and I'm frustrated about some of the social things happening in my life, and I continue to feel a little bit of uncertainty about the future. Like, what does all of this mean for me, like, today? How do I, how do I apply this practically? Like, what, what is all of this about? 
And how do I like, how does this change my life? And that's exactly, it's exactly the passage that we're going to be looking at today. Because as the writer of Hebrews has just, uh, just been pouring forth, just pointing our attention to Jesus. Now he's taking a turn and he goes, here, I just want to show you. I want to show you exactly what this means for you right now. And I want to help you to know what it looks like to live in light of who Jesus is. And that's exactly our main point for the day. Our main point for the day, our core truth, we call it here at ICC, is this. And I hope everyone will write it down. Here it is. When we know who Jesus is, we pursue new rhythms of life in response to our love for him. When we know who Jesus is, we pursue new rhythms of life in response to our love for him. All right, everybody got it written down? All right, here's what we're going to do. We're all going to say it together, whether you're uh, alone or whether you're at a watch party this morning. Uh, I would love it if you would say this with me. When we know who Jesus is, we pursue new rhythms of life in response to our love for him. All right? Well, what I want to do this morning is I want to start there at verse 19. Verse 19. Just a second, we'll have it on the screen. Verse 19, if you've got your Bibles, says this, therefore, right? Now, what I have done over and over and over as I've taught you the scripture is this. I've wanted you to understand every time you see a therefore, you can ask, what is it there for, right? And the whole point of this word being there today is this. It says, therefore, brother. So what he's doing is he's saying, in light of everything that I have just told you, right? In light of all that we have just discussed of who Jesus is, what he is like, what it looks like uh, to really know him. In light of all of that, therefore, brothers, right? That's exactly the heart of what he's saying. So what we're going to do here is we're going to look at two practical things that he's pointing our attention to. Uh, because of these things, then everything else changes, all right? So here are the two things. What I want to do today is draw a practical chart, and it's this. Since we have, if you notice right after 19, he says, therefore, brothers, since we have, and he's going to repeat it again in verse 21, since we have. So there's two, there's two things that he's pointing our attention to, two realities that he's saying, therefore, because of these two things, I'm going to show you some practical rhythms of life. So let's outline those two things. Number one is this. Since we have, number one, confidence to enter the holy place. All right? Confidence to enter the holy place. If you look at verse 19, he says this. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places. Right? Now, he goes on to say, when he's talking about holy place, what, what, what he's saying here is he's referring to the holy of holies, right? The very place where God's presence dwells. And what the writer is saying is, since we have such great confidence to enter into the very presence of God, and he goes on to clarify it. He says, this was accomplished for us by the blood of Jesus, 
by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh. Now remember, we've been talking about this over and over uh, in the book of Hebrews. We've been talking about how ultimately the way that we have access now to the very presence of God is because of the shed blood of our Savior, Jesus Christ, that he has made atonement for us. That's what the writer was saying in our last message together in Hebrews 9 and 10. Jesus has made atonement. He has covered us by his blood. And it is now possible, it is now possible because of what he did in his flesh, in living for our righteousness and dying, taking our place, becoming that sacrifice for our forgiveness. Um, it, is, it is now possible for us to have access into the presence of God. It is possible for us to, to go through that curtain that divided us between uh, ourselves and God, our holy God and us, sinful uh, people. Uh, it is possible because of his atonement to go through the curtain and to have access to God by a new and living way. So, number one, since we have confidence to enter the holy places, right? He's reminding you, don't forget, <laughs> you have now confidence to, to go in to the very presence of God. Now, number two, he says, not only since we have confidence to enter the holy place, but number two, since we have a great high priest, Jesus Christ. If you go back to, this, to the scripture, what you see there in verse 21 and 22, he says, therefore, not only since we have confidence to enter the holy place, but now since we have a great priest, over the house of God. Since we have a great priest over the house of God. In other words, what he's saying is, okay, I want to remind you of the reality that, number one, you have the opportunity, you have the opportunity to, to have access to God. And number two, you now have a priest, <laughs> a great priest, namely Jesus Christ, who is alive after three days in the grave, he, he rose to new life and he now lives forever as your eternal priest, the one who can mediate between you and God. Since now, these two things, number one, you have this confidence to enter the holy place and you have this great priest, Jesus Christ. Then let us, he goes on and he says, let us see it right here. Let us. Now, what's going to happen here is three different times he's going to say, let us, let us, let us. All right? So in light of, of the of reality that we have confidence to go into the presence of God, in light of the reality that we have Jesus Christ, a, a, a living, eternal, great high priest who stands ready to mediate for us, in light of these things, let us, let us, let us. And in each one of these let us phrases, he points us to a practical new rhythm of life in response to our love for him. If we really know Jesus, if we really trust Jesus, if we really love Jesus, um, our life will be lived in these three let us phrases. These three indicate new rhythms for us. So what I want to do is kind of fill out a chart this morning. Since we have confidence to enter the holy place and a great high priest, Jesus Christ, let us, and then we're going to name three things. The first thing that we're going to name is draw near. Let us draw near. 
Everybody have opportunity to write that down? I hope you do. If you go to the scripture and you look there at verse 22, everybody there? Here's what you see. He says, let us, number one, let us draw near. Let us draw near. What the writer of Hebrews is saying is, practically, if you want to know what it looks like to live your life in light of who Jesus is and all that he's done, then here's what you got to do. You've got to live your life drawing near to God. In fact, the whole point, the whole point of all that Jesus came to do was to give you the opportunity right now where you are in every moment of every day to live your life, not apart from God, but with God. The whole point of all that Jesus came to do, the whole point of all of his, uh, his, his living for your righteousness, his teaching, his example, the whole point of his uh, suffering on your behalf and his sacrifice upon the cross, his death and ultimately his resurrection from the grave, the whole point of all of it was so that you would have the opportunity to once again return to the very presence of God. The whole point of all of it was so that you would have the opportunity to live your life with God in perfect relationship with him. This is the whole point of everything. And therefore, what more would we ever want or need to do on a daily basis than learn to draw near to him? Uh, in, in, the, in the light of no matter what's going on, we have this incredible opportunity to bring our hearts and to come near to him. This whole picture is, is the picture of like approaching the presence of God. It's the picture of like what you would do if you were in a tabernacle or you were in a temple and, and you would make that choice. You would know uh, that you need to be in the presence of God. You, we all have that, that sense, that, that, that sense that we need to be with God. And, but we've got to act on that. And the whole phrase here, drawing near, is the, the, making the choice to act on a desire to be in the presence of God. The psalmist says, there's one thing I, I long after. There's, there's one thing I desire, to be in the presence of God. As a deer pants for the flowing water, so my soul pants for you, God, the living God. Our hearts long, should long to be near to God. And drawing near it does not mean that you have to come to church, uh, come into a, a physical sanctuary. It does not mean that you, you have to, to do something according to your own work. Uh, it does not mean, uh, yeah, that you have to go anywhere. You, it's, it's, an, it's an invisible thing. It's an act of the heart. It's a choice that we make in our spirit to, to say, oh God, I want you. Oh God, I need you. Oh God, I'm coming to you. More than anything else in all the world, God, I desire you. And we make that choice to come near. And the Bible says, if we draw near to him, he will draw near to us. If we seek him, we'll find him when we seek him with all of our heart. So the first rhythm of life, very practical rhythm of life, he goes, look, if you know all of this about Jesus, if you know who he is and you know what he's come to do, then, then don't just study it as if it's an academic textbook. Understand that this is meant to change the daily rhythm of your life. Now, when you wake up, the first, the first instinct that you ought to have is, God, I want to be near you. 
in every little moment of every day, uh, no matter the season, no matter the year, no matter the craziness like the one that we're in right now, we get the opportunity to say, God, I want to be near you. I want to come near. I want to make that choice to be near. And he goes on here and he says, he, he talks about how it is that we are or how we can draw near. First, he says we can draw near with a true heart, with a true heart. In other words, when we, when we come near to God now, uh, we don't come faking it. You know, I get, I, I know what it's like to have grown up in a church culture, and my goodness, I think probably all of us know what it's like to fake it, um, to come and, and just kind of be somebody that you're not, uh, to be in a place where literally you, you just, uh, just put on a pretense uh, for those who are around you. You put on a pretense, perhaps, even to God. And that's not the kind of drawing near that the scripture is speaking to. Um, we don't draw near to God faking it. We don't draw near to God in, in pretense. Um, we don't come kind of half-heartedly or, or holding ourselves back in ways. He says here, we draw near with what? A true heart. And then he goes on and he says that this true heart is to be in full assurance of faith. In other words, we come with a true heart and we come fully trusting him. And the assurance that we have is not in ourselves. Again, the, the whole point of our active rhythm of drawing near, making the choice to come God is when we're coming in sincerity. But how is it that we can come in sincerity when we know our sin and we know our thoughts, we, we, we sense the accusation of our sin and even of, of Satan, or we may even sense that from others. How is it that we can really have assurance to, to really come with sincerity? Well, he says we have full assurance, not in ourselves, but of faith. And then he goes on and he says, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with water. There's, there's two things here that he encourages us to see. Number one is this, as we draw near that we come with, with we come purified. We come purified. If you go back to the verse, he says, our hearts are sprinkled clean from an evil conscience. And number two, we come washed. We come washed. As we draw near, he tells us to come purified and to come washed. So if you go back to the verse, he says, not only are our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience, but our bodies are washed with pure water. Our bodies are washed with pure water. In other words, when, as we draw near, as we make this choice to live in this daily rhythm, we, we do it looking away from ourselves to Jesus. And we do it with confession, right? We do it with a heart that says, oh God, I, I need your forgiveness. I need your grace. We, we do it with a reality that we come empty-handed and that everything that we uh, could hope for is just a gift in, in response to God's, uh, our cry for mercy and God's grace toward us. We, we come recognizing that literally we, we need his cleansing. We need his, his washing. We need his purification. But as we look away from ourselves to Jesus, what we realize is that he is constantly at work cleansing us and purifying us uh, 
working in our hearts to give grace upon grace upon grace, to meet our every need, to forgive us of our sin, to cleanse us of our unrighteousness, to restore us into his presence. This is God's great joy. God does not need us. There's nothing in God that is lacking, but God desires to share himself with us. And he created us for this purpose that we might live life with him. And the reality is our sin kept us from him. But the whole point of who Jesus is and what he's done is he's come to restore us back into that intimate fellowship with God. And we are to live our life like Mary, sitting at the feet of Jesus, looking at him and marveling at him and enjoying him and being in fellowship with him. And now we can do that because of what he has done. We can do that with a sincere heart. We can come just as we are. You can receive grace and help in our time of need. So the first rhythm of life that the writer encourages us to is he says, look, you got to draw near to God. In summary, we could say this. In our drawing near, sorry, guys, I believe it's the yellow screen. Here it is. We have free access to God's inner sanctuary. That's the reality. We have now free access to God in his inner sanctuary. Jesus has opened a new way to life. We now have Jesus as a merciful priest by his self-offering. So let us enter purified and washed. We have free access to God's inner sanctuary. He has opened us a new way of life. We have Jesus as a merciful high priest by his self-offering. So let us enter purified and washed. What I wonder in your life is, what does it look like? I mean, let's just get really practical, right? What does it look like in your life in this season? Um, Are you taking full advantage of the opportunity to just live constantly in the presence of God? You know, Jesus in John 15 said, you know, just like a branch is to be a, remain attached to the vine, we are to remain attached to God. And the reality is, I know practically, like, it can be really, really easy uh, to neglect just the opportunity, this simple enjoyment of just spending time with God every day. It can be real easy to wake up and, and not seize that opportunity, not take advantage of uh, really the, the greatest thing that we need on a daily basis, and that is just to, to be near to God. It's a choice we have to make. It is a choice. There's a lot of things that could keep us from it, and I wonder today, you know, maybe you could identify what, what, would, it, what would the main thing that would prevent you from drawing near to God on a regular basis be? What would that be? Um, what would it be? Is it uh, prioritizing other things, perhaps? Is it sin and a consciousness of sin and doubt that God is willing and able to forgive and to cleanse you? Um, Would it be just a, a, a disbelief that truly God is better than something else that you've turned to in life, uh, perhaps in this season? The reality is the writer of Hebrews says, look, you, you need to evaluate what it would be that would keep you from the incredible opportunity that you've been given to draw near. 
Because if you know who Jesus is and you know what he's done, since we have this confidence, since he's opened this access, the curtain is now torn, that you, you can approach God since he now stands as your mediator. He stands ready to mediate between you and God. The greatest opportunity you have, number one, is to draw near. We got to make a habit. We got to make a choice to draw near. And what I would ask you is just, you know, it's never too late uh, to do the right thing. And if you've neglected uh, personal time of worship, if you've been neglecting personal time of enjoyment with God and his word, if you've been uh, Martha busy with many things, but not a Mary just sitting at his feet, if you've been caught up in sin or idolatry, um, it is never too late to just heed the word of God. And he's, he's inviting you. He's imploring you. Draw near. Make the choice to live in this most wonderful rhythm of life and intimacy, fellowship with God. Draw near. <laughs> Jesus has made it possible. Well, the second rhythm that he points out for us, again, he goes back to the phrase, if you look back at your scripture, the first thing he said there was draw near there in verse 22. But then if you get, when you get to verse 23, once again, he says, let us, and again, that's a cue. It's part of our list, right? Since we have this confidence, since we have this high priest, let us, let us, let us. Well, the second let us is this. Let us hold fast. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. So if we go back to our list, the second thing on our list, number two, is going to be hold fast. Hold fast. Um, the, the actual phrase, hold fast, all right, um, if you're picturing it, it's literally the, the picture of like, um, I've used this example before, but literally like if you're, imagine yourself in the middle of a, of, a, of a hurricane or a tornado. We get a lot of tornadoes here in the Mid-South region, and it's one of the things that freaks me out. Every Wednesday at 3.30, anybody with me? The sirens start going, and I just go, what? Like, I... I don't want to do, have anything to do with a tornado. Um, one of those things. Some of y'all are with me, all right? Um, but the reality is, if there, there was a tornado, um, you would want to, to grab onto something um, that was fixed, right? And you would want to hold on to that thing for dear life. In other words, you want to attach yourself to something that will not be moved. And by attaching yourself to that, hopefully, <laughs> you will not be moved. In fact, if you hold fast, you will not be moved. Well, that is the picture that we have here. The writer's saying, not only do I want you to make a, a, a daily habit of drawing near into God's presence, but secondly, I want you to make a daily habit of holding on to something specific. He talks about to the confession of our hope. If you see this here in verse 23, he says, let us hold fast the what? The confession of our hope the confession of our hope. So what he's saying is in your life, in the midst of like everything that feels kind of topsy-turvy in this year, my goodness, right? In the midst of everything and that has gone on in uh, the coronavirus pandemic and our country with a lot of the racial tensions, with the election of this year, with some of the world dynamics that are happening even right now, I hope you guys are paying attention to more than just U.S. or Memphis news. Um, we need to be global citizens of the kingdom of God. But the reality is, in, in the light of all of these, these topsy-turvy type circumstances and seasons, um, we've got to, to, to actively make a choice to hold on 
to the confession of our hope, right? We've got to make a choice to hold on. In other words, we've got to make a choice to hold on to the gospel. We've, we've got to make sure that our hearts and lives are rooted and grounded in, in who God is and what he has done for us in Jesus Christ. We've got to constantly be gospeling ourselves. We've got to make sure that we don't stray from the gospel. And in fact, that's exactly what he says in this next phrase. We got to hold on to the gospel without wavering. We got to do this without wavering. In other words, it is possible to literally start drifting, to literally get caught up in the whirlwind of the day, uh, to literally get so caught up in, for instance, uh, Trump versus Biden, to get so caught up in what's happening in America that you literally forget that that's not that's not our business as kingdom citizens. Sure, you can vote in an election, but our primary concern is not Trump versus Biden. It's the gospel above all. Our primary concern is not America, America, America. Our, our perspective is different. We are citizens of, of the globe. We are citizens of the kingdom with a heart of love for all people. We have a God that cares much more than just America. He cares about America, but he cares about the world. Um, Instead of just getting caught up in the coronavirus and the pandemic and vaccine or no vaccine and all the stuff, the, the conversations of the day, we have a security that comes not because I'm going to get a vaccine or I'm not going to get a vaccine or I got COVID or I'm not going to have COVID. Look, our security comes from the fact that God has adopted us as his own children into his family. We are now children of God. And we have a hope and a future that is secure because of Jesus Christ, who he is and his love for us and his grace and work toward us. We don't have to get caught up in that. Um, sure, I don't want anybody to get COVID. Sure, we would love to have a safe vaccine for the world. But the reality is my peace and security doesn't rest in those things. My peace and security rest in God and in his finished work for us. Uh, in the midst of just dark, dark times and seasons. We can literally um, get overcome sometimes with sadness, or we can get overcome sometimes by things that and forces that feel against us. Um, we can get overcome sometimes by just literally just just discouragement, not not knowing. It just it just feels so hopeless sometimes. But the reality is in the midst of this, while we could look more at circumstances or look more at the darkness uh, than anything else, the reality is uh, God has called us to be people who in the midst of the darkest season say, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. We hold on to the confession of our hope without turning, without going astray, without looking elsewhere for, for what we need. We, we continue to turn to the gospel for the gospel speaks to us into our hearts and our lives in any and in every season. We are to hold fast. We are to hold on to the good news of Jesus Christ, to the confession of our hope. And we're to do this without wavering. This is not dependent on circumstance. We are not to turn to the right or to the left. We are to stay fixed on Jesus. And he says, the reason for this is for he who promised is what? He is faithful. He is faithful. In other words, he is good for all the things that he has promised. 
He is faithful through and through. His promise is true and his promise is sure. And in his character, he is unchanging. He is faithful through and through. You can trust him. But the encouragement here is you've got to keep on trusting him, right? You have to keep on trusting him. You have to continue to be rooted and grounded in the gospel. So as we look at what this means practically, what we see is hold fast means to continue to cling to the gospel of hope, right? It means that we got to stay close to Jesus. We got to fix ourselves to him. It means that all of God's promises are true and sure. And it means that God is faithful and will be until the end. You know, uh, this season, I have had the privilege of keeping in touch with a lot of the uh, global partners that we have at our church. And these are dear brothers and sisters who we love so much. You know, it's been a similar story throughout the world. Uh, what a trying time. I was talking to Chrysidas um, not long ago, and he was telling me about the situation in India and the incredible difficulty that he and his family were having. You know, here at our church, um, you know, we, we have the opportunity. We moved to pretty much all online uh, at the start of the pandemic, and we moved to all online giving. But there in India, when they had a militaristic lockdown, literally had soldiers in the streets that prevented them uh, with great threat to those who would disobey, prevented them from going out. Uh, imagine what happened to the church at that time. Imagine the difficulties without the use of technology, without uh, even, you know, Christmas was sharing with me, without people coming to church you know, they only have physical offering. They give cash. Chrysidus depends on that because of his calling and work with the church uh, to continue in ministry. And without them physically meeting, how is it that he was even to have the money needed uh, to, to, to continue forward for him and his family? And yet I was so struck as I was talking to him because even though he was pouring out the reality of the situation, he says, oh, brother, we have so much joy in God. He said, we are finding new opportunities. We are finding new opportunities to trust God. We are seeing God in new ways. He has shown himself faithful. We are learning in this darkest season, the, the great light that he has shown. We are learning in this season of scarcity, how he, he meets our daily need. He provides daily bread. Truly, truly, every day we have just enough for the day. He, he began to tell me how in the loneliest of places as they couldn't be together, how God met with them and encouraged them, even there in the privacy of his own bedroom, how God ministered to him in a powerful way. And I was sitting there listening and I was thinking, wow, like God is so, so faithful. He is so faithful and he will be until the end. And no matter what season we're in, the calling on our lives, the second rhythm of life, not only are we drawing near, but we are, we are, firm in our faith that the one who promised is faithful. We are rooted in the gospel and we keep drawing. There's a verse in Isaiah that says we can draw from the wells of salvation with joy. And literally one of the things that we get to do every day on a daily basis is we get to draw from the never ending supply of God and his faithfulness and the good news of the gospel. The gospel is not just uh, the ABCs of the Christian life. It is the A to Z of the Christian life. We draw from the gospel for our every moment and our every need. The gospel informs 
all and supplies all. And so in the midst of these seasons, with the conversations that you're having, with the the circumstances that we are facing, what I would say is, let us as a church, not only draw near, but let us hold firm. Let's hold fast. Let's keep ourselves attached to the good news of the gospel of hope. Let's stay close to Jesus for all of his promises are true and sure. He who promised is faithful. And by the way, this is a great verse to memorize. I memorized this uh, many years ago, and it has served me well so many times. One of my jokes about scripture memorization is this. Uh, it's, it's really hard to cook if you don't have anything in the pantry, right? In other words, uh, there are times in life where you really need something. You need some cooking in your soul, right? But you've got to draw from truth, And the reality is scripture memory is a great opportunity for us to do just this, holding fast, holding fast to the confession of our hope, because it allows us to continue to keep that, that, that word of God hidden in our hearts. And it's amazing time and time again, how I find that when I've memorized God's word in the moment of need, I have an incredible opportunity. God will bring that to my mind and to my heart. And it literally becomes like a wood for a fire or fuel for a car. It becomes food uh, for my soul and it nourishes me. It's a great verse to memorize. And I would just encourage you today, if you haven't already memorized it, do it. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. Will you say that with me? Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Even this year, uh, I have been through some difficult circumstances personally uh, and pastorally. And the reality is I have turned to this verse over and over and over because it has reminded me again and again that it is never, it is never uh, the wrong choice to choose to trust God because over and over he has proven himself faithful hold fast to him. So the first rhythm we've talked about is drawing near. The second rhythm we've talked about is holding fast. Well, the third rhythm that we're going to look at together is considering one another, right? So hopefully everybody, if you go back to that slide, hopefully everybody will have an opportunity to write these three things down. Draw near, hold fast, and consider one another. Well, this comes straight from the third lettuce. And I'm not talking about the green stuff that you eat on hamburgers, all right? I'm talking about, that was for the kids, by the way, uh, and some of the corny adults like me. But uh, I'm talking about let us, the phrase, right? So we talked about how since we have confidence to enter the holy place, since we have such a great high priest, there's three rhythms of life that he calls us to. Number one, the rhythm of life of drawing near. Number two, the rhythm of life of holding fast. And number three, this rhythm of considering one another. If you look at your Bible there in verse uh, 24, right? Everybody have the opportunity to see it? There in verse 24, he says this, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and to good works, all right? In other words, he says, the third rhythm of life that I want you to get your mind around, your heart around, is a rhythm of life that's related to you and other Christians, right? 
Because in light of all that Jesus is and all that he's done, one of the new rhythms of life for us is that it puts us in a new relationship with other people who are also drawing near and holding fast to Jesus in life. And he says, the life that we live with Christ is a life lived in consideration of these others, of other believers in our life. In other words, the life with Jesus is not a solo project. You know, one of the things I've been most concerned about pastorally in the midst of this pandemic is that we'd get to a point this year and kind of feel like, yeah, like all isolated and the life that we live with Christ, the life of faith, suddenly just similar to how we're living life in every other way this year in the midst of the pandemic, we just kind of start flying solo and we start getting very isolated and we start just kind of thinking it's just me and me alone and, and Jesus. And while our faith is very personal, the reality is that our faith has never been meant to be lived alone, like isolated like that. We're always meant to be living our life of faith in the context of the family of God, in the context of community. And here, the writer says, the third thing that you've got to realize in this new rhythm of life is you've got to realize your need for other believers in your life. You've got to consider other believers. You've got to consider one another. Now, he goes on and he, he, he describes two ways that we've got to consider one another. So if you go back to the list, one of the things that we'll see here is, number one, as we consider each other, under that, we see we are to not neglect to meet together, okay? We are to not neglect to meet together. So this comes from verse 24 and 25, okay? So if you look at it, the writer is very plain. He helps us to see. And this third point of how we're to consider one another, he says, consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. And here it is not neglecting to meet together. In other words, you got to make sure that on a regular basis that you spend time with other believers. You have to. You have to figure out a way. <laughs> you have to figure out a way to, to be careful not to turn aside from the regular rhythm of being with other believers. It is an essential part of our life as Christians. And he describes here, as is the habit of some, he describes that it's actually possible for us to neglect it. It is possible for us to get to a point where we're literally like, yeah, it's just, you know, I just don't have time or it's not that big of a deal. Or, I could just do this on my own. And he goes, look, <laughs> we cannot afford to do that. We just can't do it. We can't do it because it's not how God made our life to function in faith. We need other believers to stir up our love and affection, our good work and our faith in Christ. We need that desperately. So desperately that you can't afford in any season that you're in to actually avoid that, to, 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 to neglect that. You know, one of the things that we have felt so concerned about pastorally in this season is that while we have absolutely believed that it is needed, in fact, necessary uh, for us to have taken all the safety precautions that, that we have taken, 
to, to allow us the opportunity to not have huge corporate gatherings, uh, for us to, you know, for us not to be gathering people uh, in a way that you'd have to be within six feet of others and all this kind of unsafe stuff. While we felt huge responsibility pastorally to serve you well uh, by providing opportunity for you to, to, to worship safely in the way that you feel the need to choose, we also feel very concerned pastorally uh, because we know even while that's safe, it comes with great risk. And the risk is that you could potentially get into a habit where you are not around other believers. Um, One of the things that you have to understand about what we do together on Sundays as a church is it's not just like one way. It's not like uh, we're just we're just meeting together for you to receive something and then go on your way. There's a one another aspect that's supposed to happen uh, as we gather. Part of what we do on Sundays, you just, it's, it's a struggle to try to figure out how to do uh, when you're, when we're worshiping online, just like we are today. It's a really, it's a struggle because it's like part of what we're supposed to do as we assemble for worship is to have community with one another to talk to each other, to, to check in on one another, to see how we're doing in each other's lives and to, to ultimately encourage one another, which we'll talk about in just a second. But, but part of what happens on Sundays is this one another aspect. And one of the things that I feel, we feel concerned about is that we could be forming some new habits in this season. Here he says, as is the habit of some, which means some people have started to, to neglect being with other believers. And then it wasn't just a one-time thing that became a two-time thing. It was not just one Sunday, but two Sundays. And all of a sudden it's a month and all of a sudden it's a quarter and all of a sudden it's six months. And suddenly now I've learned on Sundays, a whole new way of living life that doesn't involve the opportunity to really share in community with other believers. And we've got to be honest with ourselves, with one another about the risk there. We could be forming some new habits that, yes, could still be keeping us in a place where we're drawing near and we're holding fast, but this third aspect could be sorely missing, the one another aspect. And we've got to be careful about this. That's exactly why what we've said in this season is as we've opened up more and more services that are safe and socially distant, if you can come back, we would encourage you to think about coming back because what we've found is as people have come back in, they've, they've sensed the goodness of just being in the presence with other believers and having community with other believers. And we continue to feel that way um, while we respect everyone's choice. We also have encouraged, highly encouraged everyone to be in a life group. A life group is a group that uh, you get the chance to share community with. And it's a group that, is, uh, that fits uh, your needs and rhythm of life in this season. And if you don't have a life group, you can start a life group. You can join a life group that's already there by filling out a form online. But the whole point of life groups is to basically say, look, if we're worshiping online, and that's a solo experience, if we're not doing watch parties, which some of us may be, but we at least need to be getting together. It can be on the phone as a conference call. It can be on the web as a Zoom call. It can be in person in a living room or in a park. But what we've said is whatever choice you make, you've got to make the choice to be with other believers. Now, some of us go, I'm just so tired of Zoom. I, the fatigue is real. Anybody tired of Zoom? Yes. Anybody tired of online stuff? Yes. Anybody tired of digital meetings and phone calls rather than in-person hangouts? Anybody tired of masks? All of us are. Every single one of us. Okay, so 
Let's all just get it out in the open. We're all tired, right, of all that stuff. But the reality is, just because we're tired of that stuff doesn't mean that we need to just say, oh, well, we can, do, we can get by without it for a season. We'll come back to it later. We'll, we'll just come back to it after the vaccine. We're not going to do life groups in the season. We'll come back to it. That, that's not to be our attitude. God gives us his word. He says, be very, very concerned that as, a, as an essential rhythm of your life, you keep community with other believers. doesn't matter if it's hard. It's worth it. We got to suck it up. We got to do it. Because as we get together, there's something that happens that is so important. And if you're not careful about this, you could end up in a habit that you don't recover from that's detrimental from your faith. Nobody who skips a single Sunday or two Sundays or a month or three months thinks that they'll fall away from regular rhythm in the church. And yet in my pastoral life, I have seen it happen again and again. It's a slippery slope. So we've got to do what we can to stay desirous for connection with other believers and to be committed to do whatever it takes to continue in that rhythm. And in this season, I would just encourage you, we've got hundreds of people in life groups right now and so many groups to choose from. We've got many services that are happening right now physically that are safe and at a distance. And you may disagree about some of that. That's okay. But the reality is there are opportunities for you to get connected with other believers. And the question is, how are you doing it? Well, the second thing we see under considering one another is that not only are we not to neglect to meet together, but we are to, as we meet together, do something specific, and that is exhort one another. Exhorting one another. If you go back to Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 to 25, and I'll close today as we talk about this, we see here that not only are we not to neglect to meet together, but we are to encourage one another. And then he goes on, he says, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So in other words, as we get together, there's an intentionality about what we're doing with one another. What we're doing is we are not just getting together to hang out, right? We're not just getting together to have food. We're not just getting together again to sit in rows, to come in late and to leave early at, when you come in on Sundays. That's not what we're doing. When we get together, we have a mission, we have a purpose, and our purpose is to encourage one another. And the way I like to explain this a little better is to exhort. In other words, it's not just to encourage like, hey, you're a good guy, you know, you can do it, it's going to be okay, and it's just like self-focused encouragement. No, the, the point of our encouragement is gospel encouragement. In other words, what, you, what we all need is somebody to take our hand and to put our hand in the hope of God. We need somebody to, to move us toward Jesus, not to move us toward ourselves or move us toward another person. You know, you can do that in a relationship. You can move somebody toward yourself and make them dependent on you. But look, other people need Jesus, not us, not more of themselves. They need Jesus. And the reality is in our lives as believers, we have to be very intentional very intentional when we get together with other believers to be missional about it, to walk into a room and think, you know, like John, Caleb and Ashley were our hosts this morning. And I can talk about them because they're part of today's worship. When I see John, Caleb, I want to be thinking, oh God, would you help me to know how to encourage John, Caleb today? 
Would you help me to know what it would look like to point him toward you? What is it that he needs? And how is it that I could be a part of what you're doing in his heart and life to help him better know you, trust you, and follow you? Oh God, would you help me with Ashley? Would you give me Holy Spirit insight and discernment into what's going on in her life so that when I connect with her, that she would leave encouraged, helped, filled with greater hope in you because you who promise are faithful. This is what we do when we get together. We don't just sit around and talk about the politics or the news or the COVID stuff. If that's what you think, then that you just got a wrong idea. We, we are practical and real with each other, but ultimately the point of us being together is to point one another to Jesus and to do that with even greater intensity as the day approaches. You know, I think one of the things of this year that has, is an opportunity for us, again, it's all in perspective, but it's a shift of perspective that I think is the opportunity. You know, what if during this crazy season, God actually intended for us as a church to learn to be more dependent on one another? In the sense that in this community, this community work, we have a greater opportunity to know and trust more of him. What if in this season, you know, of difficulty, of, of, of things feeling strange and things feeling strange, like we talked about in the beginning, what if in this very season, God was actually wanting us to, to learn in a greater way to, to be even more committed to pursue people? to reach out to people, to try to find ways to be with people because we know how much we need one another. It has been such a hard season and we need others encouraging us and reminding us of God and praying for us and praying with us and loving us well and being exemplary for us. Um, this is the very work that God has called us to do. And in this season, I don't think we have a reason to neglect this. I think we've even got more opportunity and need to pursue this. And I pray, and I'm asking right now, you know, in your life right now, what does it look like um, in this third rhythm of life? How is it that you are seeing your own need for community? And who is it that you might need to pursue in that way or re-engage? It's never too late to do the right thing, like I said earlier. And the reality is one of God's great gifts and graces in our life is giving us others who will encourage us toward him too, who we can walk with in life and uh, live life with in faith. And I would just ask you, you know, who is it that you might could reach out to? If you're not in a life group yet, how is it that you could initiate one or, or join one already initiated? If, you're, if you've not been engaged in Sunday worship, you know, don't neglect that. If you have the opportunity to come and yet uh, for, for reasons, uh, that are not too good, uh, that you're not coming, you know, maybe you could consider that. Let's do all that we can do to live considering one another, not neglecting to meet together, but encouraging one another all the more. Realizing we need other believers, finding ways to be together regularly, not neglecting to meet together, and when we get together, being intentional, pointing each other to Jesus and to his promises. Well, at the start of today, as we close, I ask some important questions at this point. In light of all of who Jesus is and all that he's done for us, what does it mean for us? How do I apply these things practically? And what we said at the beginning is this, and our core truth. When we know who Jesus is, we pursue new rhythms of life in response to our love for him. And these rhythms have been clearly outlined for us in Hebrews 10. 
Since we have confidence to enter the holy place and a great priest, Jesus Christ, then there are three rhythms of life that we must embrace. Number one, on a daily basis, we must draw near. Number two, on a daily basis, we must hold fast. And number three, on a regular basis, we must be considering one another. We must be living life with other believers. This is so practical, guys. <laughs> it's so practical. Whether you are a kid watching with your parents right now, uh, whether you are new to your Christian uh, walk, whether you have been walking with the Lord for a long time, if you, if all of us, if we together as the church would walk in these th three rhythms of life, I really believe that we would see great blessing of God because this is what he's instructed us. If we know who Jesus is and we really believe in what he's done, then we will live life pursuing him in intimacy with him like Mary at his feet. We will hold fast to his promises like Chrysidus. In the midst of any and every season, we can see the opportunity to cling more to the hope of the gospel in Jesus Christ, to draw more from the wells of salvation with joy, to see his grace is sufficient because he who promises faithful. And number three, like many of us uh, in this season, making choices to do things we don't necessarily want to do in ways that we've never done them, Nevertheless, we recognize our need to live life with other believers, not neglecting the opportunity to be with others, but encouraging one another as we meet together regularly to continue to hope in God. I love you, church. I want to pray for you now as we move to our time of response, and I want to encourage you to evaluate today and the rest of this week. Talk about it at lunch today with those who are in your life group or with those who are in your house, your roommates, your family, your neighbors, whoever you're, you're, you're meeting with. Talk about these three things, and I would love for you to identify at least one area where you feel like you have opportunity to grow in this season. Father, thank you for today, and I pray your blessing as we continue to trust and pursue you. Lord, I thank you so much for who you are and for what you've done. I pray, God, that if there's anyone here today that doesn't know you, that today would be the day of salvation. Lord, I thank you so much that you loved us so much that you gave your one and only son, that whosoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. Jesus, we want to praise you for opening a new and living way. We want to praise you so much for being our great high priest. We want to praise you that anyone who repents of sin and puts trust in you, that you can forgive, you can cleanse, you can purify, you can restore to the very presence of God. And we pray today that we would just continue to hope in you. Lord, I pray that we would walk in these three rhythms of life, that we would be a people constantly drawing near, holding fast, and considering one another. For the glory of your name and the good of us, your church, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's continue to worship today as we respond through song.